2: hey welcome to horse hour i'm amy Stevenson, and today i'm talking to pete from bmw equine vets and we're talking about the difference between an equine dental technician or a vet who's then trained to be able to look after your horse's teeth now everybody's got an opinion on which one's the best so i'm really interested to talk to pete to find out the difference between the two this is horse hour Welcome to Horse Hour. I'm your host, Amy Stevenson. Today, I'd like to introduce you to Pete Ravenhill. He's a director of B&W Equine Vets. Now, Pete, you used to specialise in stud work, and now you specialise in equine dentistry.
0: Yeah, that's correct. I've sort of moved ends of the horse.
2: (laughs) You didn't like the other end. No one likes the other end much.
0: (laughs) I've been a vet for 23 years, and the majority of that, I've just done equine work. And I used to concentrate all my time on stud work, on stud farm work, Hmm. but I've always done dentistry. In the last 10 years, I've just got a bit obsessed with teeth and I've done lots of extra training and I've done extra exams and now I've managed to just devote my caseload entirely to dentistry, both routine dentistry and more advanced procedures. And uh, yeah, so I I love it.
2: So you touched on qualifications there, and this is something that completely baffles us. Can you iron it out for us? What qualifications should you have to be a proper equine dentist?
0: Right. Well, we need to go back a stage here. Mm -hmm. First of all, it is very confusing, but basically... There is no actual term equine dentist, OK? Oh. Because if you think of a human dentist, yeah? Yes. Then a human dentist is someone who, comparable to a vet or a doctor, has gone to dental school, university, medical school, and studied every aspect of human dentistry. And that includes not just the anatomy of the physiology, but also anaesthesia, pharmacology, surgery, medicine, pathology. So mm-hmm. they are... Equivalent qualification to a human doctor or vet, okay? Yes. Uh, there is no such qualification. There is no such equivalent in the equine world. So basically, there are two categories of people who work on horse's mouths. There are vets, okay, mm-hmm. who basically, as a vet, you are licensed and allowed to do any work in a horse's mouth, both routine work and the more complicated advanced pr- procedures, and the surgical procedures. As a vet, you're allowed to administer drugs, you're allowed to do diagnostic tests, and you're allowed to administer pain relieving local anesthetic blocks and all the, all the drugs you need afterwards.
3: Yes.
0: Now, the, the reason it gets confusing is then you've got equine dental technicians, mm-hmm. and equine dental technicians are what people call equine dentists. And equine dental technicians there are various qualifications which people have got and there are some fantastic equine dental technicians in this country and there are a couple of different exams which are recognised in this country which equine dental technicians can take. The confusing thing is basically there is no law to stop anybody from going and doing work in a horse's mouth, okay? So you or my granny or my next door neighbour can Say they are an equine dentist, or mm-hmm. more officially an equine dental technician. They can buy some kit and they can go and sell their trade, you um, know, of doing work in a horse's mouth.
2: That's ridiculous. Now, that is it, absolutely insane. I, you know, totally- I know nothing about the teeth. I know nothing about the horse how could how could anybody first of all think that they would even be suitable to go in and just work on someone's mouth but more to the point how do we put know that we're protecting our horses and doing the right by our horses if there isn't somebody that's overlooking and overseeing this is there a governing body
0: yeah well basically what it is is as i say in this country we have two main organizations there's the british association of equine dental technicians Mm b-a-e-d-t and This, in my opinion, is the sort of the gold standard exam which people can take in the UK. Now this organization was set up about 15 years ago and now in this country, there are about 120 qualified BADT equine dental technicians, but there are also about 25 to 30 vets who have also taken the exam. So this is the exam that I took in 2013. It's a notoriously difficult exam and it really does stand up on its feet as a very credible exam because it is, it's a joint exam. It's endorsed by the BEVA, which is the British Equine Veterinary Association, and the BBDA, which is the Brit- British Veterinary Dental Association. And they, in combination with a panel of BADT qualified technicians, basically police this exam, if you like. They set the standards and make sure it is a credible exam. Sorry, so, is
2: it B-A-D-T?
0: B-A-E-D-T. B-A-E-D-T. You can look it up on the website. Yeah. On So it's British Association of Equine Dental Technicians.
2: Brilliant. Okay. And do, do they have a list of, of everybody that's yeah. passed the exam? Amazing. Yeah. So
0: if you go on their website, they will give you a list of all their members, okay, and also student members who are studying for the exam. And the important thing about this organisation is also that If you, A, you've got to pass the exam to become a member, and B, you have to satisfy annual CPD requirements and insurance requirements to stay on the list, okay? So if you pass the exam and then you don't have your work assessed for for three years, you'll be taken off the list. So there's a fail-safe in that, okay? Now, there are other organizations, notably the the WWAED, which is the Worldwide Association of Equine Dental Technicians, mm-hmm. they also have their own exam, and there are some very good dental technicians working amongst their ranks as well. Now, I I don't know as much about that organisation, but again, you can go onto their website and look at their credentials. Okay, but the the important thing is there are also a lot of people out there who, you know basically are totally unqualified now some of these people have been doing equine dentistry for 30 years and some of them may be doing a very good job but you as joe public and as a customer cannot tell before that person does work on your horse whether they have literally just set up or whether they've they're doing good work
2: and the truth is, Pete, that we don't know what we're supposed to be looking for either. So we wouldn't, I couldn't tell you if someone's a good equine dental technician or not because I don't yeah. know how they're supposed to be.
0: No, exactly. And so it is a minefield, okay? And at the moment, there is lots of debate about possible legislation, mm. um, which we're hoping to put through, you know, in the next 12, 12 months, where basically that will make sure that only a suitably qualified person is allowed to work in a horse's mouth and in my opinion that should be you know a suitably qualified equine dental technician or a veterinary surgeon okay Mm. now if we go back a few years just a, a little by way of explanation the problem is is that people have been doing horses teeth for hundreds of years. There was a guy called Becker in Germany who was doing quite advanced extractions and dental work in the 1930s. But in this country, in the UK, traditionally, the veterinary industry has not been as proactive and reactive to equine dentistry as it should have been. So when I qualified 20 years ago or 23 years ago, there were not many vets doing a lot of equine dental work and to be totally honest you know we weren't using you know we didn't have the right equipment and not enough time and training and dedicated uh, and dedicated time was put forward to it mm. but this has totally changed there's been an absolute revolution in the de- equine dental industry in that um, owners are now aware of the massive benefits of good equine dentistry by the by appropriately appropriately qualified people
3: mm-hmm.
0: and so now there are there are there's a very good body of equine vets who are doing dentistry both routine dentistry to a very good standard and also there are a number of specialists who are also doing advanced dental techniques and it's totally changed the playing field but what happened was the, some of the impetus for the veterinary Profession to if you like get its act together with equine dentistry was that quite a few equine dental technicians or equine dentists as they will call themselves went over to the states to, there was a there was a college over there in Idaho Which produced a lot of people mm. and so a lot of people have gone over there and have you know in a lot of circumstances had good training and you know developed skills, but the problem is some people will also say they've trained in America, but they may have gone there for a week, they may have gone there for a month, they may yeah. have gone, and some people have been to an Australian dental college as well. But unless those people have actually come back to the UK and then taken the formally recognised exams over here, set by either BADT or the WWAED, then how do you police it?
2: it's virtually impossible. But the, you know,
0: in, in my opinion, therefore, there is a place both for qualified equine dental technicians and then ideally working as a team with with equine veterinary surgeons who have have an interest and speciality in equine dentistry and you know i I, i'm very passionate about this i've learned a lot of my dental skills both from vets specialist dental vets and also equine dental technicians within the baedt and i have now mentored three people successfully through their BADT exam, two vet colleagues and one dental technician. And one of those dental technicians who uh, did a degree at equine dentistry degree at Hartbury, then came to train with me. She now works with me full time and we work as a team together. So we go into a yard, we set up two workstations, we assess the horses together, I sedate the horses if they need sedating, she does her work, I do mine. And then also if there's any more invasive advanced procedures like extractions or periodontal disease treatments then i am then on hand to administer nerve blocks to make diagnoses take x-rays do extractions and administer drugs in my opinion that's the ideal world
2: absolutely i can see it working really well together like that you know yeah. what i yeah. how i can't see it working is when you're putting a horse through pain when you've got a dental technician that can't sedate that can't give him antibiotics that's taking wolf teeth out with no sedation at all without then giving it antibiotics afterwards it's just generating more issues but whilst working yeah. in conjunction with the vet and working in conjunction with you you're kind of eliminating all angles
0: yeah well i you've you've hit the nail on the head and i totally agree and the thing is there's been so much misinformation and ignorance about equine dentistry and equine teeth in the past. Mm. Um, you know, even now you get people saying, well, I didn't think horses had nerves in their teeth. Well, of I course had someone they do. We've got me, nerves. I had someone come up to me a few weeks ago and say, is it true that they're just blocks of calcium and with no nerves in And I'm saying, no, that's rubbish. You know, um, Horses' teeth are totally different anatomy and design to ours, mm. but if you, you know, they have, they are living tissues, they have non-sensitive and sensitive tissues. I always equate it to a bit like a horse's hoof. In a horse's hoof, the farrier has to avoid, has to trim the feet, but has to avoid the non-sensitive tissues. Sorry, has to avoid the sensitive tissues. So basically, we all know, we look at a horse's foot, the farrier works outside the white line to make sure that he doesn't stray into the sensitive tissues of the hoof mm-hmm. it's exactly the same in teeth we have anatomical landmarks on the teeth which guide us as to where we can rasp and where we can't where we can remove dental tissues and where we can't and it's it's as simple as that so you know when you're working a horse's mouth you have to be totally mindful of the anatomy in there and what you can do and what you can't. And the only reason people don't haven't seen that in the past is because they've never got to look in the horse's mouth. Hmm. The horse's foot, it's easy, you can see what your farrier is doing. And a horse's mouth, the owner in the past can be blissfully unaware of what's going on. So, but that's why now, you know, with, with good equipment and with, with good techniques now, Every dental technician and vet should be sh- visualizing the horse's mouth and showing the owners what's in there. So, when I look at every horse I look at, most of them I sedate, we can talk about that later. Mm. I have the horse's head up on a headstand, I flush out the horse's mouth, I put a bright LED headlight on my head. So, and you open up the horse's mouth with an appropriate gag on with a speculum, the full mouth speculum, which is essential. And the owners look in the mouth and they go, Oh, my word, I never, I've never, never seen the horse's mouth before at the back. They People mm. just don't realise until they see. And that's what opens up their eyes and makes them realise what's going on in there. And as I say, there is a place for both vets and dental technicians working on horses' teeth, but it needs to be regulated in the right way. And I totally agree with you what your argument was. You know, it is not acceptable in this day and age with the knowledge and equipment and skill we have now to... Um, in my opinion to extract wolf teeth or any other teeth without without some local anaesthetic. You wouldn't go to the dentist and want your teeth extracted without local anaesthesia. Why should a horse?
2: The only way that I can look at it together is like if you've got a dentist, putting it in human terms, you've got a dentist and you've got a hygienist. And nowadays... A very
0: good example. The
2: hygienists do, the they do some fillings and they can drill a couple of holes and fill them up, but they do that under the view or un- advisory of the dentist. And I think yeah. that should be very much the same between a dental technician and a vet because you've got the years of experience of learning the whole body the skull the muscles everything that goes within the horse you can spot that and let's go even deeper and say there's an issue okay so somebody that the dental technician takes out the tooth And it's inflamed, and there's a lot of blood. How are they going to be able to handle that afterwards? Because they haven't been taught those skills. I'm presuming, because I haven't done a course. But
0: no, no, I totally agree. Yeah, and that's why you know the first thing is obviously some. There are some you know there are some fantastic equine dental technicians out there who are very skilled in a horse's mouth, Mm. and. Some of their arguments will be that they are so slick at taking a horse's wolf tooth out, they can do it so quickly the horse hardly notices. Now, that doesn't wash with me, I'm no. afraid. Having tried to take horse teeth out sedated, either with local anesthetic or without, I know exactly the difference. Mm. And it's just, you know, that is an excuse. It is not a valid argument, in my opinion.
3: Mm.
0: And at the end of the day, yes. So. For any teeth being taken out, I want that horse to have the appropriate local anaesthetic block so it can't feel a thing. And yes, if there are any complications, then a vet has to be involved.
2: Yeah.
0: By way of clarification, the BADT and the British Equine Veterinary Association and the BVDA basically came up with some categories back in 2006, mm-hmm. which basically gave some guidance as to what procedures were suitable and not suitable for dental technicians to perform and which were just for veterinary surgeons. Now, if we run through those quickly, category one is basically you're allowed to hand rasp horse's teeth, okay, so remove dental overgrowth with hand rasps, and you are allowed to remove digitally loose teeth. So if you can put your hand in a horse's mouth, like if you've got a geriatric 25 year old horse with loose teeth, if you can put your hand in and pull that tooth out with your fingers, then that's acceptable because you're not doing a surgical extraction. Mm -hmm. But then category two is the removal of normal erupted wolf teeth, but in that category it says that it should be performed under veterinary supervision. Now this is the grey area. Now also. Removal of dental overgrowth with motorised kit, with motorised dental kit, is also a category two procedure. So there's a very grey area because obviously there are lots of very good dental technicians working out there who are doing a very good job with of examining the mouth, either unsedated or sedated by a vet. They're remote they're doing good work in the mouth with a motorised dent with motorised dental equipment. And in some cases then they are removing wolf teeth normally erupted wolf teeth either with no sedation and no nerve block or with sedation from a vet or in an ideal world a vet who can sedate the horse and put nerve blocks in Mm. but again it becomes complicated and it becomes messy now category three procedures is basically everything else so any Surgical procedures covered by the Veterinary Surgeons Act. So, if you've got a wolf tooth which is not erupted and you have to make an incision over that tooth, that is category three. And any other incisor extractions, canine extractions, cheek teeth extractions, they are all category three procedures. As are diastema widening. We you know where we treat, where we have to widen gaps between teeth for periodontal disease, and There are new procedures now coming through, like endodontics and restorations, which, again, should be in this category. So the trouble is is, there's grey areas, okay, Mm -hmm. and that's what there is debate about at the moment.
2: Um, Can we just go back to category two, which is you can use a motorised rasp or a hand rasp.
0: Yeah.
2: Which would be your preferred use? Would it be a motorised or a hand?
0: Well, in terms of what I've done in my career, I used hand rasps for 15 years, or nearly 15 years, I've used motorized equipment in conjunction with hand for the last 10 years or 10 to 12 years and now I use pretty much 100% motorized dental equipment and I just have some hand which I use specific areas of the mouth just for finishing off and for certain things.
2: So it doesn't affect the head then using, because I know what I feel like if I have a drill in my mouth, I hate it. And and yeah. it, I can almost feel the vibrations through my brain. And I think, oh, I don't want my horse to go through that as well.
0: Well, basically, the modern motorised dental equipment is very well designed. You've got basically diamond encrusted um, discs or burrs. And the modern equipment is very well designed so that It's as quiet as it can be, and also it is very efficient at removing dental tissue, which is good and bad, we'll go into that. But it opens up an amazing range of uh, procedures that you can perform in a horse's mouth, which frankly were impossible with hand rasps. The problem with hand rasps is, it's very difficult to work focally on one tooth. If you want to take a tiny overgrowth off a tooth, it's very difficult to get to that with a hand rasp without having to remove tissue on the teeth around it. Mm. And in my experience, you're going to cause more collateral damage by damaging soft tissues by, you know, moving this rasp around the mouth. So the thing about motorized dental kit now, if you're using it appropriately and mm. it's the right kit, then in my opinion, it is not only perfectly safe. But it is also the advantages, the advantages in dental treatments that it has produced, in my opinion, is absolutely, it's a no-brainer. So, you know, for, for me to do the standard of dental work I need to do in a horse's mouth, I have to use motorised kit. There's no doubt about it.
2: Do you get much, and are there, are there many times, and I know it's difficult because every case is different, but when you're just doing a standard t- checking over the teeth, yeah, it's normal yeah. procedure – Yeah. But you you do a little bit of, you know, taking off one side and measuring up the other side. How often do you see blood? Because the last time that my horse had his teeth done, it was a normal one and there was blood. And for me, I thought that can't be normal.
0: Well, basically, when you're doing a normal dental examination and rasp, then in most cases, in my experience with motorized dental equipment, there is no blood. Okay. Mm hmm. I used to find that with hand rasps, I was more likely to catch the gums and and some of the soft tissues and cause blood. But in any procedure, the horses have got fleshy gums and you know vascular tissues in their mouth. It is very easy for some blood to appear. And it's not usually not a problem if there is a little bit of bleeding, but obviously it's always our aim to reduce it to a minimum or or not have any.
3: Mm.
0: Now the important thing I want to talk about with motorised dental equipment is there are two issues here. One, they are very well designed now and they are very efficient at removing dental tissues. Okay.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: Now when we we can go but we can go through this later but when we're rasping horses teeth essentially we're removing dental overgrowths okay so sharp points and dental overgrowths now when we're removing this we should be removing there are three dental structures enamel cementum and dentine now enamel and cementum is basically non-vascular and does not have does not have a significant nerve supply okay yes Uh, so they are likely non-sensitive tissues that we are removing from the horse's tooth once we get into dentine and dentine is the living tissue of the tooth it is produced by cells within the pulp and we have to look at the horse's mouth there are different types of dentine there is the dark stained secondary dentine which While it is very dark stained by the food, that is non-sensitive, but if we start to get colour changes towards cream and pink, then we're heading towards the pulp and then we need to stop. So we need to avoid exposure of vital structures within the teeth. Okay. Mm -hmm. So the thing about motorised dental equipment is, because it's very efficient at removing dental material, if you use it in the wrong place or for too long, you will expose sensitive and vital dental structures. Mm. But the problem is, you know, if you rasp enough with hand rasps you will do exactly the same, okay? So it is it's just like if you compare using a axe for chopping wood or using a chainsaw, yeah? Yes, They're yeah. both pretty deadly instruments in the wrong hands, aren't they? Mm, yes, yeah. Yeah. And if you're using a chainsaw, you need to be properly trained and skillful with it and you can do a nice job. And It's exactly the same with motorized dental equipment. With suitably qualified people, both equine dental technicians and veterinary surgeons, you can do a very good job. You can do what needs to be done in the horse's mouth and you can avoid any any damage to the teeth. Now, one caveat to that is that whenever you rasp horse's teeth, either with hand-rasp or with motorized equipment, you generate heat, okay? The instruments can get hot, and this is much more significant in motorized equipment. So the type of equipment I use now has built-in water cooling so that I can, you know, I can demonstrate it. You can't see this, but Mm -hmm. when I'm rasping horse's teeth, I've got this very well guarded diamond encrusted disc and i can rub it up my arm and it doesn't harm my skin oh okay? wow yes All right. Yeah. if i put it on my teeth it would go it would reduce my teeth to stumps but if i rub it along my arm it doesn't affect the tissue so it doesn't it, it is very you know it, it, used appropriately it is very um kind to their gums and fleshy structures okay so
3: clever yeah
0: but the water cooling stops it getting too hot and gets rid of any debris from the mouth. And that gives me the peace of mind that I'm doing everything I can to avoid any problem. Mm -hmm. But, you know, in the past, you know, it's been an evolution process of motorized dental equipment, people were using not homemade but sort of you know dremels and kit which had been adapted from industrial use which frankly weren't suitable
2: are those the ones that they put in a bucket of water to cool them down
0: well um no i mean basically all all motorized dental equipment as you're working you should be you should have a brush in your bucket and cold water in it and you should be removing any tooth dust or dental material from your disc to keep it to keep it clean. Right. Now the best way of doing that is to have water-cooled equipment, but I still use a brush to keep it clean all the time. Mm. But if I just went in there and put a disc on a horse's tooth and didn't bother cleaning it, there'd be smoke coming out out of that horse's mouth. I've even seen that on a YouTube video. Oh, from the no, States. god, it's pretty shocking. Mm.
3: Um,
0: so again, but it's the same with human dental equipment. If you know, if they were. Drilling your teeth and they didn't have water cooling, then it would cause a problem. So mm-hmm. it's all about using the appropriate equipment and knowing how it works and using it skillfully and appropriately.
2: So some owners I've heard are proud that they can have their teeth done, their horse's teeth done. Oh, mine doesn't need sedation. That's what they say. Oh, my horse doesn't need sedation. And my initial thought is I wouldn't put my horse through that trauma of having a gag shoved in his mouth. His his mouth held open with a metal plate and he's going to be traumatized by that. So the sedation, if anything, is to relax him so that he doesn't really know what's going on. Yeah.
0: But again, there's lots of levels to look at this. First of all, when I qualified twenty-three years ago,
3: mm.
0: not many not many vets were using the full mouth speculums, you know, the big gruesome gag we use. Mm. But that piece of kit is absolutely essential. You cannot when when you look in a horse's mouth, you've got their teeth going back as far as their eye, and you cannot examine their mouth properly and make diagnosis without a gag. So, But 20 years ago, I remember only saying, oh, well, you're not putting a gag on my horse, is dangerous, or it's it's gonna cause them a problem. But you have to do it. It is, it is an essential part of examining a horse's mouth properly. So that's the first thing, you do have to have that. There are a lot of horses out there who will tolerate a gag examination and then rasping their teeth without sedation. And they'll sit there happily with their head in the air, and some of them tolerate it very well. You have other horses where you cannot even get a gag on without sedating them. It's just dangerous. And obviously, you know, I, I know I work with a lot of equine dental technicians in the BADT who do an amazing job you know, on unsedated horses. Now, the only problem from my point of view with that is... If
3: Mother's Day is around the corner.
2: Yeah, that plush. And the best part, for every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash
1: ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST.
0: I now do teeth. You know, my whole caseload all week is teeth, okay?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So, as I'm a vet, Nearly all my clients come to me because they want they know that I will examine the horse I will 9 times out of 10 sedate their horses and it will be a stress-free pleasurable experience yes and what happens is I I listen to the horse's heart beforehand to make sure it's healthy I, and I always do that I sedate the horse and I know I've got the horse's history I can I can judge whether that horse is appropriate to be sedated, if it's got a heart problem, has it got underlying medical history, and that is very important as well, you need the background information, and I will generally sedate that horse, but not, not so it's wobbling and falling over, you know, you can go in with a low dose of sedation, and that will allow me to just gently and without any fuss, put a gag on that horse, and then I can put the horse's head onto a headstand. Mm-hmm. You've probably seen these chin rests, headstands. Yes, yeah. Because as soon as you sedate a horse, its ho- its head goes onto the floor, mm. and it's very difficult to examine it. And they're Especially heavy. T- they're really they're heavy. They're really heavy. So I put the horse's head on a headstand, and then I don't expect the owners to be holding the horse's head. If 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 the owner is wrestling the horse's head and it's throwing it around, then in my opinion that is wrong. You're going to get someone's going to get hurt. Either mm. the horse or the handle all the person doing the work so with me with a little bit of sedation i can put the horse's head on a stand I can examine its mouth properly i can flush it out i can look exactly what i need to do and i can do the work and from my point of view that means that the horse doesn't get stressed the owner doesn't get stressed the horse doesn't next time uh, uh, someone goes to do his teeth think that the world's going to end
3: mm-hmm.
0: and from my point of view nobody gets hurt and also I don't spend half the examination trying to wrestle with the horse, yeah. because, which for me would, you know, reduce my length of career as a as a dental vet significantly because you have a lot, you get a lot of, you can get a lot of problems with your back and shoulders and neck if you're constantly fighting the horse. Mm-hmm. So that comes into it as well. But my issue with this is that a lot of people who say, "Oh, my horse has never been sedated It never needs sedating," that's fine if that's the case. Okay. Provided the person is person doing their teeth has managed to do a proper job, whether they be a vet or a dental technician. So to those people, I would say, yeah, that's fine. But let me examine your horse now and have a feel, have a look, and let's see if it's been done properly.
3: Mm-hmm. And a
0: lot of those cases, they've done the teeth at the front okay, the front cheek teeth, at the front premolars and molars. But they haven't managed to get to the one the tricky ones at the back because mm-hmm. the horse doesn't tolerate it. So again, there is a spectrum. Yeah. Some horses won't need to be sedated some horses will.
2: Because the argument that I have against when I hear that and I say, well, you know, my personal opinion is to sedate my horse just because he's young and I don't want him to have... I don't want him to have any traumatic experiences. Everything's about being calm and gentle and nice, you know? The argument I get back is, well, you're putting your horse under extreme risk for no reason because you're sedating him and there's high risks to sedating horses.
0: That is incorrect. There is not high risks. Sedating horses... All these owners who say they don't want their horses sedated will quite happily have them sedated to be clipped or have their mane pulled or go to the farrier. It is no different, absolutely no different. And provided you've got a healthy horse, I could sedate your horse every day of the week for, you know, a few days, and it's not going to have a medical effect on that horse. Obviously, we try and reduce any drugs and sedation we give to a horse to an absolute minimum, but they are safe drugs. Yeah. And... Handled properly, uh, the horse doesn't need to stumble, they don't, you know, it's all about skill of skill of operation. As a vet who spends all his time doing equine dentistry, for me, sedation has massive benefits and it totally outweighs any risks that the sedation has. Okay, mm. now, um, obviously, there are, you know, the, the only possible, you know, the, the risks which you could face with Excessive sedation would be if the horse had, say, its, you know, its intestines and digestive system slowed down as a result of the drugs, and it and it got colic afterwards. Or um you also, when you sedate them, you you can't give them hard food or long fiber for about an hour afterwards to pre- to prevent them from choking. But mm-hmm. you know, as I say, to me, provided you manage them properly around that period, then. I don't, I don't worry about sedating them at all. Okay. And same for old horses as well. People get very worried about sedating older horses, but I've never had a problem with old horses and sedation. Let's say. The problems come um, with sedation when, you know, for long... You know, we have some complicated extraction procedures. For instance, I had a horse last week that I had to sedate it for five hours one day and four hours the next day to get some very, very complicated teeth out. And that horse is absolutely fine, but sometimes you have to then give them some you know, oral fluids to make sure that they are rehydrated and everything is OK. So to, to put it in perspective, the type of dose I'm using to just do a normal dental examination rasp is very small. And the horse will, it will have worn off within 30 to 45 minutes. So right. yeah, it's a no brainer for me. Um, yeah. because of the, you know, the benefits to the horse sort of having a stress-free, pain-free, um, you know, discomfort-free experience that it's not going to dread. Mm. Um, and the important thing for me is that you have to make, you know, I'm a total perfectionist. I like to make sure I've done a perfect <laughs> job in every mouth and sedation and nerve blocks allow me to do that.
2: Well, I trust you, Pete. I mean, I want you to come and do it. I'm, I'm so gutted that you're so far away because I'd have you tomorrow look after my horse.
0: <laughs> but I think, I think the thing is, you know, um, the, the important thing is when people are choosing who does their teeth, they need to be part of the process. The person who's doing their teeth needs to show them what they're like beforehand, let you put your hand in and have a feel, then let you watch everything they're doing, and then feel what's left look and feel in the mouth afterwards and you know then you can be part of the process and you can you know what i love about dentistry is i have people texting the next day saying oh my god this horse is amazing to ride it's suddenly eating it's very you know it's very satisfying
2: and you should have reports as well shouldn't you of, of what they've done there and then so that you can monitor that six months later a year later when well well actually how often should a horse have their teeth checked
0: right well this yeah this is important i mean the thing, first of all, let's go back one stage and say why, you know, the, the common question is why should I bother having my horse's teeth done? They don't get them done in the wild, okay? Mm-hmm. The important thing about horse's teeth is that basically their, their main chewing teeth, they've got these four rows of, cheek, of six cheek teeth, which are like the sort of grinding units for processing the, the forage and food and grass that they eat. Now, those teeth and the teeth at the front, the incisors, are totally different to our teeth. And our teeth have just got a simple enamel coating. And once they're erupted, that's it. They're there for hopefully your life, unless you drink too much coke and things. Um, But in a horse, their adult permanent cheek teeth and incisors are continually, they have a very clever system where they have the whole of the tooth, the whole of the tooth's, sort of life for that horse buried in the skull Mm. and as they are worn away at the grinding surface they continue to erupt they don't grow if you have you know other species like rabbits have teeth which can keep growing to replace what's been um worn away in a horse the, the the tooth is already preformed and in the skull and there's a very clever periodontal ligament which allows it to erupt and almost like a sort of a um, almost like an escalator in that it keeps erupting and then is worn away at the same rate. So if you look at a horse's mouth, basically if you look at their cheek teeth, the upper cheek teeth are wider and they sit wider compared to the lower cheek teeth. So these teeth are continually erupting like a sort of a conveyor belt, if you like, and being worn away, but there are anatomical reasons why certain parts of, the, of these teeth are unopposed when they chew from side to side so all horses will develop sharp enamel points on the outside of the upper cheek teeth and on the inside of the lower cheek teeth, but they will also develop overgrowths on the front of, certain you know, on certain parts of the cheek teeth, depending on the sort of alignment, whether the horse is parrot mouthed or, um, or the opposite. Now, in the wild, they, the most important thing is, in the wild, you wouldn't be putting bridles and bits in their mouths and doing dressage on them. So mm. you would not be pulling those soft tissues like the cheeks and the tongue onto sharp, painful points. So that's the main reason why we definitely need to do their teeth because we're going to cause pain in their mouth by doing all these things. The other important thing is that in the wild, horse would, horses would be roaming the plains chewing 20, and they would be eating 24 hours a day and they would mm. be eating probably fairly bare paddock bare pasture with shrubs and bushes and grass and it would be much more abrasive. There'd be sand and silicates. You know, they wouldn't be on a lush, Gloucestershire paddock with uh, six inches of grass and a nice <laughs> bowl of mash in the end of the day. They, they yeah. would be having to forage like wild zebras, okay? Mm-hmm. Now, as a result of that, they will, they will wear down their teeth quite a bit naturally so they wouldn't get such sharp overgrowths. But the other thing is obviously, in the wild, horses would, if they had a problem with their teeth, these teeth are continually erupting. So, most of the problems with horses' teeth are a sort of a vicious circle scenario. If a tooth is in the wrong place or there's a diseased tooth, then all the teeth around it will keep on doing their thing and, and causing a problem. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's no stop button to that escalator, if you like. So, in the wild, if a, if a horse had bad teeth or had overgrowth or problems and couldn't eat unfortunately that horse would die through natural selection Mm. so that's why you know because of the fact that we are using our horses both as you know pleasure animals and and athletes and putting bits and bridles in their mouths we are changing the the playing field if you like but also by changing their environment, putting them in a stable for many hours a day, giving them short feeds, you know, feeding them a couple of times a day, not always having ad-lib forage. We're changing totally the way that they wear their teeth. And the other really important thing is that now we're, we're often giving them foods with lots of sugar in. And mm. so that combination of, we may give them haylage which may be acidic. We may give them food that contains molasses and sugar. And that combination of Acid and sugar and normal bacteria in their mouths can play havoc with their gums and we get really bad gum problems and periodontal disease in horses and we always did, you know, the carriage horses in the 1900s apparently periodontal disease was always called the scourge of the horse because, you know, I hate to think what those horses teeth were like in those days. Yeah. So the important thing is that, you know, we're not dealing with wild horses on a normal diet, and normal management, so... And the other really, really crucial thing which um, listeners need to realize is that horses, being a prey they're a prey species, you know, a predator prey species. Yes. So they are, de- you know, the wild horse or zebra out on the African plain is designed not to show the lion that he's got toothache because that lion will then pick him off and, 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 and he will be the first one to go. So horses are very good at masking dental pain. So if we rely on waiting for a horse to show us that he's got a dental problem, then it may well be very advanced. So just like us, you know, we don't want to wait till we've got an agonizing toothache. We go for tooth checkups every year.
2: Yeah, well, prevention, isn't it? It's better than
0: cure. And that's what we're realizing now. So in terms of when you should have your horse's teeth looked at, now, if you have a feeling that pole's mouth or a yearling's mouth or a two-year-old's mouth or a three-year-old's mouth, they will have incredibly sharp teeth. And young horses, the teeth erupt very quickly compared to older horses. So if they erupt quickly, they produce enamel sharp overgrowth quickly. So really, for me, it depends on when you're going to start breaking that horse in or putting a bit in his mouth. So if you've got, say, you know, a horse which is going to be an eventer or a dressage horse, which is living in a field having a fairly natural life till it's three then Mm -hmm. you don't normally need to do any routine checks or procedures in that horse's mouth until it's about three years of age but the important thing and this is my sort of um soapbox thing is that (laughs) what you need to do is get your horse's teeth checked and rasped and any other procedures done you know a couple of months before you're going to going to try and put a bit in that horse's mouth or send it away for backing. Because obviously, when there's a three-year-old, that horse is going to have lots lot going on in its mouth at that time. You can have sharp points, baby teeth, the caps, the premolar caps and the incisor caps being shed at that point, wolf teeth, and all these things need to be sorted before you start putting um, a bit in a horse's mouth. Because what happens is you, know, you start trying to break them and you go, oh, this horse hates having a bit in its mouth. It's going over backwards because it's got sharp points in its mouth. So we need to do that before, um, that before that process.
2: Ultimately then, Pete, the whole thing is about making the horse feel more comfortable.
0: Yeah. Well, it's, it's more than that. You are making the horse feel more comfortable so that it can have you know bridles and bits and cheek pieces and flashes and things like that. But mm. also, you are just keep maintaining the equilibrium of the mouth so that those horses can keep on chewing normally. Because what happens, as I say, it's a vicious circle. If you get mm. such sharp points that the horse then gets painful, or it gets overgrowths which are stopping it chewing normally, then it chews in a different way, and um, the whole environment and the mouth changes.
2: So would you say once every six months?
0: So what the, the, basically, if you've got a horse that's been broken in, say, when it's three, then mm. I would get its teeth Checked, examined, and whatever needs to be done, you know, a month, good month or two before you do anything with that horse. And basically, most horses, an annual check will be sufficient. But in that sort of early period, um, young horses, I I like to check them every six months because they're just like kids. They've got they've got lots going on in their mouth. They can have overcrowding. They can have baby teeth coming. You know, caps coming off and they get sharp very quickly. So in an ideal world, uh, you would do, look at your horse's teeth when they're three and do them every six months, possibly until they're about six or seven or eight, and then annually after that. But it just you have, you have to play it by ear as to what is in that horse's mouth. Similarly, in, old, in older geriatric horses, some of them, their teeth are then erupting so slowly that they hardly need any rasping. But others will have problems, such as loose teeth and periodontal disease and missing teeth which mean that they need to be checked every six months. And obviously, the, the other thing yeah. is different breeds. If, you know, I deal with a lot of thoroughbreds, every year I get some foals, weaned foals over the winter that suddenly stop eating and, and get and have, you know, sort of ulcers and discharge in their mouth. So I've even had to rasp foal's teeth occasionally. Mm. But generally, you know, thoroughbreds are going to the sales as yearlings and then they're going to tr- training yards as you know 18 month old horses so again their teeth need to be rasped and examined and if necessary wolf teeth taken out before that time so again I, I i do i look at a lot of yearling's teeth
2: Pete, for the love of the fact that you you sound so passionate and you clearly love the horses this is this is going to take us into a whole never another level which we'll talk about another time but just quickly does it not break your heart having to do those babies' teeth knowing where they're going
0: no, because i I take satisfaction that when they get into training they're gonna have comfortable mouths they'll be able to eat properly, and they're not you know I it would break my heart to see them in training with really sharp enamel points and mm. spikes sticking into the side of their uh, side of their their mouth so you know this is a whole new debate you know yeah. i yeah. I see a lot of thoroughbreds that you know frankly are much better looked after than I am, you know.
2: <laughs> oh, oh, that's interesting. Um, but I know I've, I've taken up so much of your time and I could literally talk to you for hours. You're fascinating. I Just really quickly, could you explain the insurance side of equine dental technicians and veterinary? What would you be called? You're a vet, so a vet uh, equine specialist.
0: Basically, I can't call myself an equine dental specialist because there are specific European college and American dental college exams which a handful of people in this country have got um, okay. people like but, a veterinary a dent- but, yeah. but yes I am a vet and I uh, you know my caseload is, is equine dentistry and I've taken extra exams to show that and have a caseload to show that so I you know I've got a specific clinical interest in equine dentistry. Um, okay. But I'll, I'll get shot down in flames for calling myself an equine dental specialist. I oh, will say that. Um, okay. um, uh, you, you have to um, tick very specific boxes for that to put that after your name. But th- basically there is a spectrum of, of equine vets who go from just ones who are competent at doing routine dentistry to mm-hmm. people like myself who have a great interest in it and see a lot of very um, of more advanced cases. To people at the very top of the pyramid who are genuine equine dental specialists who are totally at at the top of their field.
2: Okay so we've talked about the differences between having a vet who's qualified to look after the teeth and an equine dental technician Yep. but we've talked about the qualifications, we've talked about the differences, what about insurance? I mean are there certain things that you need to get like qualifications to get insured? Because um, we then can then go and ask whoever's doing our teeth, you know, are you yeah. insured? And and what happens if it goes wrong?
0: Exactly. I mean, that is the thing. I mean, as a vet, we have liability insurance, indemnity assurance, usually with the veterinary defence society, which means that if I'm doing a procedure on your horse's teeth and something goes wrong, whether it be my fault or not, then there is some comeback on it. I'm insured. A, I am, you know, I'm, I am insured ai am you know i am i am legally qualified to be doing what I'm doing, mm-hmm. and but I am also, you know, insured if if something goes wrong, and things can go wrong, you know, it's not a perfect world, um, but so that's the case with Equine Dental Technicians, to be, it, I only know for the BADT, which is the organization I'm a member of and very proud to be a member of, all members, when we sign up every year and renew our subscriptions, we have to send in you know, documented evidence of our insurance. So de- equine dental technicians am- among that body will have to have appropriate insurance. A couple of companies who do that who, again, give give some comeback if there is a problem with any procedure. Now, the only caveat to that is obviously if an equine dental technician is straying into territory that they shouldn't be in, i.e. if mm-hmm. they were trying to sedate a horse illegally or administer sedatives, which they've they've got or remove you know sort of cheek teeth or blind wolf teeth then they would be doing that illegally and there would be absolutely no comeback whatsoever for you as an owner so it it is a bit of a minefield but you Mm. need to you know but as I say there are you know there are some very good equine dental technicians who are have got the right qualifications who are doing a fantastic job and you know it's uh, I say the, the best thing for the horse and for the public is for me is if you've got teams of equine dental technicians and, and vets with a dental equine, you know, passion and interest and specialization to work together. And for instance, so, you know, that's what happens in my practice now b and I run the, de- the equine dental department and I've got Lucinda who is a qualified uh, BADT member and they say we work as a team, and it works so well, really mm. well, and I'm also training another person to, to take their exams as well because I see that as the future
2: oh Pete it's brilliant, thank you so much. It's great to hear someone that's so passionate about what they do and and I think that's what we need for each for our team that we put together of people that look after our horses. We just want a bit of passion. We want you to love our horses as much as we do,
0: yeah, yeah well <laughs> exactly, and you know the really exciting thing is that. You know, I can see in my career as 23 in 23 years as a vet, a total change in the quality of equine dental care, and that's why now we've got horses living into their 30s. Equine dentistry is not all of it, but it is a big part of it, and and also now you know, in when you look at the advanced procedures we do now, you know we're doing minimally invasive extractions now, which 20 years ago would have involved anaesthetising the horse, giving a general anaesthetic. And hammering out a tooth from the outside, which had oh. terrible, you know, complications and aftercare. We now mm. have got some really clever techniques now, where both using instruments within the mouth and using keyhole surgery outside of the mouth, we can get these teeth out. It's still sometimes an you know, incredibly complicated and time-consuming job, but you know, we, we're much better armed to sort these horses out quickly and efficiently, and. The 99% of these procedures are now done standing with the horse sedated, as opposed to having a general anaesthetic. So it's a massive advantage. It's really clever. The other really exciting thing is I've I've been over to a clinic in Germany to spend time with a dental specialist over there, a dental vet who is a a specialist, and he's now doing amazing procedures like even in the past, if we had a diseased cheek tooth, we would always take it out. Because that was our only option, doing an extraction. But in some cases now, he, he is actually extracting a diseased tooth, actually filling it outside the horse's body, you know, on his workbench, and actually yeah. putting it back in like a transplantation technique. Wow! And the other, and that is really exciting. And the other thing that he's doing um, is he is now extracting fifty percent less teeth than he was. 10 years ago, because there's a lot of emphasis now. Because we're looking in horses' mouths with mirrors and also cameras, we have special scopes to go in their mouth. We can mm-hmm. identify pathology earlier, and we can actually do some prevention. In some cases, we're actually doing fillings and endodontics and restorations to prevent teeth actually breaking in the future or from having you know, sort of infection problems. So it's opened up a whole new world of, of stuff, really.
2: It's amazing. We can't wait to hear about how you get on and, and like the future as well, because you said that you're trying to change legislation. How can we follow you, Pete? Are you on Twitter?
0: Um, yeah, well, my practice being W, Equine Vets, we're on, we're on Twitter and Facebook.
2: And you all you put out a lot of education as well i've been looking at your Facebook feed and it's constantly educating us on what we need to be looking for and tips and tricks and
3: things well the
0: nice thing about dentistry is that there's lots of um pictures and videos and it does it, it's a visual subject and so it just lends itself to that and you know and there are lots of other people putting out really good material within our industry uh you know so there are all these other things which are which are really good um one of my colleagues who is is one of the leading equine dental specialists in the country, uh, a chap called Chris Pierce, he runs the Equine Dental Clinic Limited and um, he's got some amazing material coming out on his, uh, comes out on his website. Um, oh, brilliant. And he, you know, he does some specialist referral work at our hospital as well. And um, yeah, you ought to check out his website because um, oh. the Some of the quality of the videos and the material he's done is incredible.
2: Amazing. And what's your website? What's
0: B&W Equine Vets' website? Yeah, B&W Equine Vets is bwequinevets.co.uk. If you just Google BW Vets, it will come up, BW Equine Vets. We, We now have 30 equine vets based all around the Southwest and South Wales. And as I say, in terms of dentistry, I take a lot of pride in training my vets, specifically in all the modern equine dental techniques, and making sure that we're equipped with the right, you know, with the right equipment to do the job. And um, as I say, I also am passionate about working with equine dental technicians, you know, as a, as a team.
2: Well, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much. I could literally talk to you for hours. And um, I think at some point we might need to get you back on to go into even more detail about the actual horse's mouth and the teeth and things yeah, that we yeah. need to There's look out of for. Other things because... We haven't
0: touched on like yeah. <laughs> wolf teeth and crib biting and all sorts uh-huh. of So, yeah. We'll anytime. do that
2: again. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much.
0: All right. Thank you. Bye bye. Take
2: care. Bye. Thanks so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed this episode. I feel a bit better for having a chat with Pete. I feel like he really explained the difference between, you know, a vet who looks after your horse's teeth or an equine dental technician. And it's good the fact that the two can work together and they can actually go hand in hand. But as always, it's just making sure that you're using the most qualified person for your horse and also that they get on with your horse. We often forget about that. Next week, you can hear Libby Head. She's a USA eventer. She debuted at Badminton this year and she's trying to work her way through the ranks with her horse rocky who she basically saved 8 years ago this horse was on death's door And uh, she decided to buy him and she's been training him for eight years and now she's doing incredibly well. It's an amazing story. So that's next week, Libby Head. You can catch up with our previous episodes like Narveen Kerr from Trey Health. She's a physiotherapist. As McTimoney. We talk about musculoskeletal issues. And one of my favourite episodes that we've done this year is Alison on Dressage to Music. Alison is a choreographer and uh, she gives us advice on how to pick the right music for your horse. Quite often we try to make make our horse go with the music but actually we should be flipping it over and we should be finding the right music for the horse so head over to itunes you can download us there or we're on acast as well there's lots of information on our website if you head to horsehour.org and of course don't forget you can catch up with us on twitter i'll speak to you soon
0: you've been listening to horse hour Join the community on Twitter Mondays 8pm UK time 3pm Eastern by using the hashtag HorseHour. Follow Amy at AmyStevenson1 and subscribe to us on Acast, iTunes, Stitcher and Player FM.